Well, welcome back to Teaching with the Body and Mind. I'm here with Joey. Hello. Hi, Mike. Hey. And Ross. Hi, Tom. Say, today uh, I want to talk about something that happened in my classroom. A group of children were playing The Wizard of Oz. I mean, I, I, haven't, I didn't read the book. Um, this is coming from outside the classroom. Somebody must have watched The Wizard of Oz, either the real Wizard of Oz or the uh, animated version, or, or somebody read the book to them. And it started out small with just two children. In fact, it might have been just one child because she picked up a basket and she says, I'm going to play The Wizard of Oz. Well, <laughs> first of all, think about this. This child is equating Dorothy with the basket. This is, this is, what do you call it? Iconography. The basket stands for Dorothy. Yep, she knows right. that. Yep. And yep. the other child knows that too. So then some other kids hear it and they want to play um, the Wizard of Oz with them. There's all this negotiation. Who's going to be this person? Who's going to be that person? How are we going to do it? And this, there must've been about 10 minutes of negotiation. And finally, what happened is this little boy uh, I have a, I had a big box in my classroom, uh, and it was between the housekeeping area and the book area, so it was kind of in this border space. But he looked at that he looked at that box, and he laid down on the floor, huh. pulled the box over his mm -hmm. feet, and then he <laughs> pretended like he was dead. And everybody at that moment knew that the uh, Dorothy's house had fallen on the Wicked Witch of the West. And so there were... Wicked there Witch no, of the East, no by the way. any negotiation. It was all action at that point. What? Oh, I said Wicked Witch of the East, because the, the Wicked Witch of the East dies, and her sister, the Wicked Witch of the West, then is the one who wants revenge on Really? Dizzy. Yeah. Sorry. Small plot, small plot point that <laughs> is derailing, but yes. I'm the fan <laughs> website for Yeah, <laughs> sorry. I'm, I'm in for the fandom there. <laughs> I didn't mean to derail you. <laughs> So that, that's okay. So one child was kind of acting as the director. And so as soon as the boy pulled the, the box over his feet, um, she directed Dorothy to go into the house because Dorothy was supposed to be in the house when the house fell on to the, uh, on to the Wicked Witch of the East. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. um, and, then, uh, and then she directed a couple other kids into the house too. But, so now you've got three three people in the house uh, on top of the wicked wick, uh, the wicked witch of the wet east. So it, it, to me, it was a kind of a transcendent moment where all the negotiation turned into action mm -hmm. because the boy pulled the box over his feet, and everybody understood at that point what, what was um, right. Yeah, I mean, they, they recreated this iconic scene from that movie. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, the interesting thing about that is it wasn't true to the, to, the, um, to the details of the movie. For instance, he pulled the, he pulled the box over the feet. Right. Not, not, he didn't get under the box, so only the feet right. showed. Right. right. And, <laughs> the and Dorothy was supposed to be in the house when it came down on the Wicked Witch. Right. Not after. <laughs> but, she, but, but they put it all together and it was, it, it, it was bigger than the parts. They, they had put it together. That was a, a you know, I think, I think it as a, they got the gestalt of that iconic <laughs> moment. 
Mm-hmm. Even yeah. though it was uh, the, the, the things were all mixed up and it got me thinking about how action um, changes what happens. Just just a little bit of action of the boy laying on the floor, pulling the box over, mm-hmm. changed the whole trajectory of that play. And yeah. I, I can't think of an, ex- an example right now, but I know I've seen that hundreds of times, right? That especially at the, this age, They'll start talking, but once somebody just picks something up and starts doing it, everyone just follows in line. Like they know what to do. Right. Even if they stop to disagree, it's still like there's a basic understanding already. Right. And one, that other thing you described, Tom, of like, it's also like, it becomes an approximation, but it's, it's close in, enough. So you can have Dorothy and three other people in the house and it really doesn't matter because it's sort of like, well, the house falls on the witch and, you know, Dorothy can have like friends with her, you know, but yeah, it's that, that sort of approximation of what really happened is, is enough. And it, and it, and it feels accurate in the, in, in the moment. And they're, and they're not so worried about obviously getting every, you know, set detail quite right. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like, it's like when you're talking with, with, with people about how something's going to go, you're trying to get set up for an event or something like that. And you're talking, you're talking, you're talking. Someone just says, well, what if the table was here? And they just move mm-hmm. the table. You know, it's just sort of like, there's a point at which talk doesn't right. work, you know, and you have to take action. Right, right. To me. I mean, I feel like it happens yeah. all the time in, 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 in real life too. And the other thing I think is interesting, the approximations of like the basket, I'm sure didn't look exactly like, the right. basket in the movie, but you know, it's open-ended enough where like, Oh, you're Dorothy, right. you know? And, and then the box itself obviously wasn't the house, but even just the box on the feet, it's like, Oh, right. there was All a house. Symbols, you know, yeah. Just, like yeah. Yeah, just, just thinking about that. And, and, yeah. and, you know, I think that's a good indication too, that having open-ended materials are going to allow for that. Cause you didn't, you didn't say we're going to play wizard of Oz and there was nothing about it. Like you didn't know till they were already doing it that that's what they were doing. So open-ended materials would allow for that because it could have become, you know, the Millennium Falcon or right. now SpongeBob's but, pineapple under the sea. Whatever. So that, that box at, at another point in another classroom <laughs> became the got tipped over and they were playing um, superheroes and it became the superhero cave. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I'm also so, thinking of the thing, the story you just told, like, I mean, not knowing any of the kids involved, like thinking about the boy, maybe like everyone's there, they're talking, okay, well, I'll be Dorothy and I'll be the Tin Man or whatever they may or may not have been discussing in that moment. And just thinking, well, I wonder if that kid, you know, imagine a child who, who actually doesn't have like really great verbal skills or even, even maybe some of the, that cognitive planning ability but like he knows he can get under the box. And it's just, it's, I mean, something we've talked about before too, just as far as like, in some ways, you know, we're, we rely so much on verbal as a, as a, as a, as a way to understand someone's um, intellect, but like this kid, and I'm not saying he didn't have the verbal skills, but you can imagine lots of scenarios where he just got under the box. And actually that was the thing, not the endless talking, but the getting under the box was the thing that actually got the play going. So it was that moment. It was that exact moment because he didn't say anything, but he looked up at the other children who were playing it and the other children understood exactly what was happening. And it all, it all came together in that one moment. But you can see the teacher observing it going, Oh, well, you know, 
so-and-so and so-and-so were discussing, Wait. you know, potential this and that shows their cognitive this and that, you know, I mean, you, right. You can see how we might we have a bias yeah, towards the part. verbal. Yeah. 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 Versus like, who's this kid who's just putting himself under boxes all the time. Right. <laughs> you know, what's wrong with him? But that's true. Like, yeah, we, we, I think often think of, Oh, the person who put it into words is the one who understands it. And that just not well, true. And, exactly. There's not, an understanding that happens physically that, that, maybe it can't be verbalized. But mm-hmm. I think also, because I, oddly enough, I've, and maybe it was around the same time, I had a group of children who reenacted The Wizard of Oz m- many times to the point where we actually recorded it and invited families to come and see their performance because uh, they wanted to see it. Because one girl was reading Wicked, uh, mm-hmm. the book, at their home because the Broadway show was coming. But in this case, she was she was extremely verbal and very descript in the details of all of it. And there's others who had a vague understanding of it as well. But she was she was the director who was mm-hmm. telling people, you, you're this and this is what you do. Because many of the children in the class at that time didn't have a deep understanding of the characters of the story. But it was her narration and her dictation that actually got children to want to keep playing. And then it evolved to them building the set and getting the props and finding the costumes. And that other children knew the story based on how this child was telling it. But they loved the story mm-hmm. just as much as if they had read it. It, you know, it seemed like mm-hmm. it was, it was it, that, in that case, it was the verbal of this child who was able to, or the verbal capabilities of, describing the story and the characters that fueled the play, which led to that physical interaction and building because they weren't just standing and, you know, reading their scripts to kind of have a table read. They were every day we were building the stage and then the yellow brick road and finding the other props to have these other, other parts of the story there. And so it was really interesting to see how that, how verbal also was needed to keep that play going. <laughs> I can, um, as I'm telling this, I'm thinking of the other children who were standing in the background who did not say one thing the entire time, but they were the vital characters of the Tin Man being frozen in the woods. And then, you know, the other scenarios where you didn't have to talk to be in the, in the performance, but you had to act. Your body had to move. You had to be physically a part of what was going on. And that's really what made it, come alive for these children. So it was kind of amazing. So, so even, in, even in this um, impromptu play that these children created, there were, uh, there were um, th- I think, three children who actually had a pretty good idea about the story. And there was just one follower. Right. <laughs> so that was the third person in t- inside the box. That person just wanted to be, that child just wanted to be part of the play. Right. Even though she didn't understand what was going on, she was just going to follow which is, right. which, you know, the audience is important too. Well, and also I think with pretend play, one of, I think we've talked about this before, right? The reason it works so well at this age is everyone can be involved at the level they understand. So you only need one person who knows the scenario as a whole. And then you need people who have a rough idea or what they want to do. And then you can have people who are literally like, Oh, It'd be fun to be in the box and go in, but it still adds to the play. Right. Uh-huh. Even though like each child has a totally different vision in their head, especially if one kid, like I know I had a, a 
classroom when um, one of the kids knew the movie The Wiz and another kid knew the book The Wizard of Oz, but not any movie. And they could still play. Right. But if you could see what they were picturing in their head as they were doing it, it was right. different, you know. And, and once in a while, they'd have a problem because, like, you know, they have to go to the subway steps and, or, you know, and the other wait, like, what wait are you there's no about? subway steps. Yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Um, but for the most part, they just played as if it was one thing. And then they had their shorthand of like, oh, that's um, the Wiz Dorothy. Or, oh, that's, you know, Wizard of Oz or whatever. Um, so it was just, and, the, and Wicked hadn't been written yet because I'm that old, right? That, but, you know, you could see if someone knew the movie but not Wicked, like, you know, trying to right. fit in the storyline. So, well, but it works, like when they're just... The actual acting out, if they just tried to tell the story, I think they'd have a harder time and they would have a hard time negotiating. Wait, what do you mean the Wicked Witch of the West is good? You know, what do you mean the wizard's the bad one? Or, well, and you know, I mean, and, you know, it, it, there's a range, there's different levels of ability of actually like retelling a story too. And, yeah. and even like as an adult, you know, we kind of humor them because we, we can fill in the gaps of what, you know, we know, we know where they're going, even though their stories don't always logically follow what really happened. So, you know, to go back to Tom's point, it's like at a certain point, you just have to do something. Even if like I was proposing we were gonna go all the way to the wizard and do the whole script, you know, that was my vision. Like, okay, good, let's just get in this box. Like, I mean, you know, like, it, you know, because at a certain point, their ability to narrate a, a coherent story, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's imperfect for the most part, the, the age we're with, you know. And the, and, and the attention span to... It's, it's not fun to just stand and talk about the, <laughs> the, the story, the game, whatever it's going to be. There has to be action for it to become more satisfying for children and for maybe for adults a lot too. I mean, I do a lot of sitting at the table for Dungeons & Dragons, so I suppose that kind of <laughs> breaks the rule. But for young children, like they can't just stand and talk about it. And I think that's where the action just gets it going. But it also is this great opportunity for um, to really practice negotiation because if we're going to argue about the subway steps and them being there and not being there, if, if neither of us back down, well then the play stops and then now it's not as fun anymore. Now I have to find something else to do, but I really wanted to do the wizard of Oz. Well, now children have those natural, the, the natural opportunities to practice cognitive flexibility and do I do I want to keep playing you know do can I let this let this go and or can I can I understand that my version is different and you have perspective taking so this is that natural opportunity and I actually you know see it with a few of the children I have currently where there's you know their children with autism have we know less flexibility so we've had some great opportunities at the lego table can you build, can, well, they're going to build it this way, but that's not this character. This character doesn't have that. Well, do you want to keep playing with them or do you want to do your own thing? And then you can see the wheels turning of, oh, I, I might have to change my idea or let them have their idea. And that's this, why, why dramatic play and, you know, just play in general is, is such an important thing for later on in life of being able to navigate other perspectives, other ideas, and realizing that if you always get it your way, well, then no, you end up playing by yourself because it doesn't feel good when your ideas aren't included or heard. Uh, Rosh, you made me think of something um, I might call the contagion of play. 
how it, how it, if one kid starts something and then it, then another kid wants to join in, it's, it's kind of contagious. And that's kind of what happened in this episode. I had a question for you, though. When you were doing The Wizard of Oz, what was, what was the teacher's role? Ticket sales were huge. I mean, we had a really, oh. Um. <laughs> executive producer. <laughs> were you, the, yeah, were you the executive producer? It was interesting. Uh, actually, the, the teacher's roles, it kind of got take, uh, some of the student teachers that I was working with at the time were there. And initially, what I'm remembering is that they were wanting to be more, of the fact checkers like actually it's this and then more precise this is, yeah this is the way the story goes and we start if and then maybe i'm just filling this in because this is how i wanted it to go um but what i'm remembering is that we would have conversations in our reflective meetings each day and say let's really look back at this and say does the content of the story the accuracy of how it's being told or portrayed really matter or is it the is it the process of them coming together, building, making friendships, cr- you know, you maximizing this cognitive flexibility, the recall the recall from days before, and so as they kept coming back to it, it now became more the the teacher's role of, well, yesterday we did it this way. Do we want to do that again, or are we doing it different? And then mm-hmm. you know, trying to help the children recall because as Joey were saying, like the the memory of details or the accuracy of it, there could be fights about, well, we didn't do it this way. This isn't how we did it. And the teachers would go, well, okay, so now we have to figure this out. So there is that piece of, go ahead, Mike. I was going to say one thing I've seen student teachers do and not specifically with Wizard of Oz, but, um, and it's just that new teaching thing, right? That they think they're joining in. So what I could imagine for that is like when kids say, oh, we're doing Wizard of Oz, here's this. And then the, student teacher trying to help with, Oh, wait, this could be the basket. Oh, Hey, you know, this could be the, and start kind of choosing things. I watched a student teacher do it with, um, they were playing restaurant and she immediately was like, Oh, well we should have a menu. What should be on the menu? And, you know, like, and, and she was, you know, doing her best, but, and, you know, she quickly learned it's much more interesting to do what you said and focus on, you can be the one to help them recall things. Right. And then decide, do I want to do that again? Or, oh, yeah, that's right. We were doing that. And then let yeah. them jump in and you step but back. An- another helpful role of the teacher was to also, the adult was to also help keep the story going because it was easy for them to get stuck in kind of a cyclone of, we're doing this part. We're only doing this part. We're only doing this part. We're in the kind of going back and forth or not being able to reach the agreement. So there were times where the teacher said, okay, well, next came the, the walk right. into the forest. Is that what is that what we're doing now? Or, oh, don't forget that we were we still have the Tin Man off off stage who's waiting to <laughs> He's come still on. Standing there, you know that. So there were there were also sometimes the directors to kind of keep the story going and connecting kids to other kids. It's exactly like yeah right. that it's if they're doing that over there. Remember they're and that, He's still over there. And that's one way for for a play to develop like over time. And, and like you said, there's, you have all those kind of extra teachers with the student teachers there too, to help kids kind of like reflect and go back and forth. But I could also see like Tom's classroom, they might just endlessly get in the box, you know, mm-hmm. my turn to lie under the house. I'm the, you know, I'm the witch now, you know, so there's, there's different ways too that some of these exciting, sometimes it's, you know, the, it's the fun part of the plot, right. That they right. kind of revisit. Um, over and over and over. So, anyway. So, just let me let me let me finish with. Um, you know, that was 
That was good, Russ. I want to draw a little distinction between what happened in my classroom and that, because mm-hmm. it, this, was, this was totally serendipitous. And if I hadn't watched that moment, it, again, I think it was a magical moment where, where play transcended the, transcended the moment in time, in space. Um, and I was really happy to look back and see that and hope that teachers and people who work with young children um, can maybe be able to see those kinds of moments. Anyway, thank you guys. It was great. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Thank you for listening to Teaching with the Body and Bond. We'll be back again next week with another episode. Music is by Big Wheel Popcorn.